Hey, deserving listeners. A while back, one of you listeners commented below an episode saying something something along the lines of, Bob should have his own podcast. And when I saw that comment, I thought, that is a great idea. As many of you know, I've talked about before, when I started this podcast 11 and a half years ago, originally I wanted it to be me and Bob because I just thought that would be the perfect podcast. Me and Bob, we talk about this stuff all the time. We're great friends. And it took many years for me to convince him to actually come on the podcast, and he's really taking to it. And many of you love him uh, so much that uh, one of you said Bob should have his own podcast. And so I, uh, the next time I saw Bob, I, I ran it past him. I said, "Hey, you know, next, you know, what do you think about doing your own episodes where you sit down with the microphone and just say whatever comes to mind, whatever you want to share with the listeners, without me spouting or interrupting or you know, blah blah blahing." So Bob got a microphone and a computer, and he just started talking. And so here we go. Let's listen to Bob. Well, I hope third time's the charm. This is the third time I've uh, made a run at saying something, um, doing one of these recordings. And the first time I forgot to actually hit the record button. The second time, I don't know, I just am not 100% pleased with what I said or even with the sound quality. So I'm going to do my best to keep that more consistent because that can be distracting for listeners. Um, This is the an adjunct to the Psychology in Seattle podcast, who's hosted by our good friend Kirk Honda. My name is Bob Gettle. I'm a therapist in practice in Seattle and a fairly regular contributor and guest on on that podcast, which, you know, I'm really surprised. Uh, I really enjoy doing. I really enjoy, I get together with Kirk every couple of weeks and um, talk with him and listen listen to him. I really have been enjoying um my friendship with him that way and also just learning from him and um uh it's also a chance to kind of think about things in a way that I don't I don't usually think about things because uh, most of the time in my work life I'm seeing clients so I don't know if it's true but it's in some ways it feels more philosophical or theoretical um when we talk on that podcast um so even as I say that, I, I, um, I'm a little bit reluctant because one of the things that we do is we answer emails from listeners, and um, I don't feel philosophical or theoretical when I'm hearing and thinking about your real life stuff that's happening, things that are causing you suffering or pain. Um, but there is a somewhat less immediate immediacy to it. Um, Kirk asked me if I would, if I had something I wanted to say, if I would do a recording and he would post it and, uh, have that as, um, an occasional feature on the podcast, um, for listeners, if they wanted to, uh, listen to whatever I have to say. Um, so this is an experiment and I'm certain he does. And of course I do. Welcome your feedback, positive or negative, about how this is and what you like, what you don't like, so that uh, I presume we're going to keep doing it if I think of something I want to talk about, um, so that um, we can make it worth your while. 
that was about three weeks ago he, he asked me about it, and I've been thinking about it. And uh, a couple weeks ago, it occurred to me that what I wanted to talk about was bias in conflict in couples. And the way I've been thinking about it these days is in terms of the word normal. What is normal? Lots of times in conflict, couples will look at one another's behavior and say, well, you know, you're not behaving normally or properly or the way you ought to. You should do this or not do that. And um, they sort of lock up there. And I wanted to sort of pay attention to that, that, that knot in the rope, that lock up, because I think there's something really interesting to learn there. And um, I think there's something kind of interesting about humans in the lockup because it ends up having this paradoxical effect wherein the thing I want most is the thing that I'm least likely to get. Because when I lock up in judgment of my partner, my partner's not likely to come towards me or attempt to even care about my needs. And one of the things I've noticed in my marriage and in observing couples is that when we lock up in these conflicts, we look at the other person's behavior and we see that it does not meet a certain standard, our version of what is normal, what is right, what is proper. And we tend to focus on their behavior and think that what's needed is a course correction. They should act some other way. They should do something else. They should think or feel some other way. And it's kind of like spicy food. You sit in a restaurant with your partner and they bring a plate of food. Of course, these days we're eating in more. So you have a plate of food you're sharing with your partner and you take a bite and your partner takes a bite. And one of you says, well, this is really spicy. And the other of you says, well, no, it isn't. It's actually quite mild. And the question can become, who's right? Everybody's right, right? Each person has their point of view. Each person has their experience, and their experience is based in how food hits them, the nature of their bodies, their experiences with spicy food in the past, and um, what's spicy to one is not so spicy to another. But in conflict, with part, um, it's not nearly so um, mild, if that's an okay way to put it. Conflicts are heated. They have a great deal of emotion, of suffering and pain in them, and I think invite us into locking up or engaging in a tug-of-war, becoming narrow-minded or recalcitrant or just stuck. So that's what I wanted to kind of pay attention to is that bias of normal. And um, I don't know, I guess work with that a little bit. So I'm in a conflict in my marriage and I'm angry with Colleen and she's angry with me and we focus on what the other person is doing that they shouldn't do and we write each other tickets. Well, you shouldn't be this way or you shouldn't say that or whatever. And um, <laughs> we're focused on being right and... We um, don't hear one another very well, right? This is pretty common for couples when they're in a fight. They don't hear one another. They say a lot, and they don't hear one another. 
I've said before, one of, one of the most unfortunate things about being a human is that when you get really upset like that, you do not lose the ability to speak. And wouldn't that be a gift? I mean, perhaps very frustrating, but wouldn't it be great if you had to go mute, 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 mute. You had to go mute when you were that upset that you lost language because you would have far less to have to clean up if you, if we, if I didn't, didn't speak when I'm angry. So in the conflict, when we're angry, we focus on the other person's behavior and we can label it as not so normal or we think the other person should act different from how they are. And we think that the solution is to get the other person shaped up, do something different, be something different, act somehow different, um, respond some other way than the way that they actually are responding. And if they did, boy, wouldn't that be great? And that would just sort of solve it, right? If my partner shaped up, if my partner did more of the other, or what the thing I'm wanting, or the thing I'm asking, which of course is perfectly normal and reasonable, then things would go better between us. And I don't know, maybe it's even true, at least to some degree. But they're not, and so the hell with them, or good Lord, what's going to become of us, or um, this just sucks, or my partner's a jerk face, or whatever, right? Those are the kind of the, the directions we go when we're frustrated and angry. And so the eyes go outward, and they don't go in. We don't focus in on ourselves, we focus on the other. And it's sort of interesting. That's what I wanted to focus on or pay attention to was that focus and where it goes. Because my judging of my partner as not normal or not behaving correctly or the way she she should in my case um, robs me of paying attention to something that actually could really help me. And that is, what are my feelings and connected to my feelings, what is my need? So, of course, I'm angry, right? Of course, we get angry with our partner. Absolutely understandable. And they say that uh, anger is often a secondary emotion. And what they mean is there's another emotion that goes with it. Anger is second. And the primary emotions are usually things like longing or sadness or panic or terror or just real fear right? Kind of tender, vulnerable feelings tend to be beneath anger. I often tell my people that anger is a bodyguard emotion. It's there to protect you. And in a way, I'm angry with my partner. And so I'm trying to get my partner to shape up to be different. And um, that's a way to protect me. That's a way to keep me safe or connected or whatever if I keep my partner shaped up. Rarely does it actually have that impact, rarely does anger actually produce the kind of response in my wife that I would like. But it sure is a go-to um, and so easy. I think anger feels good. Uh, that powerful power in our bodies, their adrenaline is going, our heart's pumping, our bodies are primed for great action. It's reinforcing. And uh, my cultural legacy is one where righteous indignation is part of the fabric. And uh, righteous indignation, guys, if you've ever felt it, it just feels good to be right. Um, it's not terribly effective. And <laughs> you probably have heard me say this on the podcast. Colleen hates it. She just hates it when I get that smug smile on my face. I get that smug smile. She says, oh, I just want to hate that smile, she says. And uh, rightfully so. Um, not my best look.
So when we're angry, though, we're focused outward. And we're blind and we're protected from seeing something that feels far more dangerous, or far more scary, or far more tender, or far more vulnerable, uh, far more painful. We're, we're, we're focused away from that stuff that's inside. And that's uh, been curious to me lately. I'm thinking about that, and quite frankly, I'm sort of stalling right now because I've lost my train of thought. What did I want to tell you about that? Or what did I want to focus on there and see what you guys think? We focus on the other person's behavior, what they should or shouldn't do. And what doesn't happen is we don't get a chance to focus on our own need. Curiosity is lost. When we're right, we don't have to be curious anymore. Um, we've summed it all up and we've concluded that our partner's just a big dummy. And that's it. And the only thing that's going to make that better is if they stop being a dummy. And we've missed something. Um, not so easy to see, but something that would be far more effective. And that is beneath my anger is my need. My attachment need. My need for connection or my need for engagement or acceptance or safety. It's embedded in that complaint about my partner, what she should do, uh, how she should act, um, what the right or proper way to be is, or the sensitive way to be, or the loving way to be, right? And what I don't pay attention to is, if she acted that way, what would it do for me? What is the point of it? What is, what is, what am I seeking in getting her to quote unquote shape up? Because it's actually quite hard to connect to that part of ourselves, the longings that we have, the needs that we have, that are our birthright, but that just feel vulnerable. So it's easy. I don't even know that it's willful to stay on the surface and be angry. Um, when there's been a betrayal, of course we're angry. If there's an affair, if... Uh, our partners cheated on us, then of course we're furious. We're, we're so, so angry. We're so angry and understandably so. And I think we can kind of look at that. If you've ever seen a betrayal in someone else's relationship, you can kind of relate like, oh man, that person, they've done wrong. They really hurt their partner. And it's true. When people betray one another by cheating, oh, agony. Some of the worst pain there is. Yanks the rug out from under. But just staying in the anger doesn't actually help anybody. Nobody. Nobody ever healed their relationship by being pissed off at their partner. And while we might want them to grovel, it actually doesn't help. And the only thing that helps, I think, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. The thing that helps is when, when it's right, when the time's right. Because I'm not saying that a partner should just go sort of charge forth. I think you want to set the stage. But when the thing that heals is when I can express to you what it is that your betrayal did, how it injured me, what exactly your behavior says to me. It says to me, I'm not attractive enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not enough. Or it says to me, the world is just a dangerous place and I'm never, ever, ever going to be safe. Right? And in the recognition 
of those painful, tender, vulnerable feelings, there's a possibility of need being met by risking and describing to my partner how scary it was that they cheated, right? If that's what it is. And what their cheating said to me, either about me or about the world or about our relationship, whether or not I'm, I can count on you or whether or not I can rest in you being uh, someone I can trust or that um, you would look at me and think that I were enough. Telling somebody that that's what you're scared of is a lot harder than it is to tell them that they've fucked up and they've done you wrong. It feels a lot less powerful. And I think it makes sense, though, that, that we can recognize that beneath the betrayal, there's actually what was betrayed. It's not like it's a one-size-fits-all. Whenever you cheat, this is the injury that you cause. Well, the injury that you cause is going to be particular to the person who got injured. And they're presented with, uh, therapists love this word, opportunity. <laughs> I always have mixed feelings when people say, well, it's an opportunity here, because on the one hand, yeah, okay, I get it. But on the other hand, that feels like a kick in the teeth, because who would want this kind of opportunity? There's an opportunity to um, connect with the need and share it with the other. Ideally, when they're really only safely if they're actually present and available to hear it. Um, I would never want anybody to share something so close to the heart, so tender, if they had a partner who weren't present and available to hear it. Otherwise, it's just it's like swinging out on a trapeze and doing your triple somersault and then reaching, but there's no hands there to catch you. I'm just going to fall. So while I think that the risk is necessary, I think that the conditions in order to take the risk have to be right or else you're just inviting somebody into re-injuring themselves. So I guess the point I mean to make is that we can get stuck on the surface, what is right, what is proper, what is normal, and we can focus on the other person's behavior. And it is so easy then to lose sight of the fact that there's something that we wanted or needed. And there's some tender feelings that are beneath our frustrations or irritations or angers that do not get the light of day. One of the ways I think about it often is like that scene from The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy and the gang are standing in front of that big booming voice and that screen and the loud and the fire and it's all so terrifying. I remember seeing that when I was a kid. That that would scare the hell out of me. And then the dog pulls the curtain aside and there's this guy and he <laughs> screams into the microphone, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. But then again, that man behind the curtain is kind of a doddering, vulnerable old guy. That's the wizard. I think that's inside each of us. Something behind the curtain that's vulnerable, that's scared. And the only way we find our way to connection, to have our partner engage with us, to get things so that they're safe, to find out that we're accepted by our partner, is to pull the curtain aside. Being angry keeps us stuck. Being judgmental keeps us stuck. And I don't say this 
like it's easy. I, uh, I hope I've indicated, I don't know if I have, but I hope I've indicated that it's hard for me when I'm angry to see well, what's the need beneath. I'm so focused on how I've been done wrong or how um, the other person should be different that I do not connect with what underneath that what's the tender, vulnerable part of me beneath or behind the curtain. So I invite you to consider that for yourself in your relationships when you're hurt or when you're angry, um, what's beneath your own judgments of your partner as misbehaving or abnormal or however it is you want to put it. And I welcome your feedback, positive or negative. Um, at the end of that podcast, uh, Kirk often says, you know, take care of yourselves because, and then he points at me and I say, you deserve it. You do deserve care, welfare, well-being. And so I wish that for you. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Take care out there. Mm-hmm.